Talking Heads is brought to you by FreshBooks. For freelancers and small business owners, FreshBooks takes the pain out of accounting. Have a question about the service? A real live human will answer every call in about three rings. Get your 30-day free trial by going to freshbooks.com slash talking and enter talking. You just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? I'm going to get wasted. Welcome to Super Bowl 50. 50 years in the making and the all-time sellout occurred. And welcome into the latest edition of Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is back in Washington, D.C. How was San Francisco, Mark? Uh, San Francisco was phenomenal. It was a great time. I love that city. I will be headed back. Yeah, that place is awesome. Um, So I want to start with the end of the Super Bowl, which (sighs) I'm sorry was... Honestly, the worst sellout I think I've ever seen, and I think it was so unbelievably inappropriate, I can't believe Peyton Manning did what he did last night, that that's how he went out. Um, I, I don't think you saw it, right? I no, talked to you before we taped this. I don't think you saw it. I actually, um, I can't, I'm not, I wasn't a huge fan of the Broncos, and I was upset on a lot of different levels that they won, um, not the least of which was that I have a good friend that laid some money on Carolina before the season began. And I yeah, that really was me. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I checked out with about when when Carolina punted with about two minutes left. I was yeah. like, okay, this game's done. So I so I did not see any of the post game ceremonies. Yeah. So I stuck around. I watched it because I actually wanted to hear the question: Are you going to retire? You know, you knew he was going to get that, and that to me was regardless of the outcome was going to be. Topic one or one A. If Carolina had won, it would have been Carolina wins, Peyton either retires or doesn't retire. Or if it's Denver wins, it's all about are you going out? Is this it? Was it the last time you played? So you knew the question was coming. And so he was on the field right after the game was over, big smile on his face, and Tracy Wolfson's great reporter sitting there with him. She asked him some question about how's it feel and all that stuff. And then she, you know, inevitably asked him the question everyone wants to hear. Are you going to retire? And he started hedging immediately, which wasn't a surprise. He basically said, hey, I've got other priorities first. I want to go see my wife and I want to talk to my family members. And I'm going to drink a lot of Budweiser tonight. Actually said that. Nice product placement. Yeah, actually said that. Now, so here's this moment. And listen, Peyton is very scripted. So, you know, I'm immediately like... (laughs) This guy's a pitch man, has been for a long time. He knows exactly what he's doing. In another scenario with another player, I might think, oh, that's he just, you know, it's this emotional moment. He'll say whatever he wants to say. But just in case you were wondering if that was just kind of a slip and he just kind of said that, 10 minutes later, he's up on the podium receiving the Lombardi Trophy from Jim Nance. And Jim Nance says, hey, a lot of people did not hear what you had to say on the field, so I want to ask you again, because he didn't answer the question whether he was retiring or not. He never actually answered that question. He said, is this your last game? And he said, again, he said, I've got other priorities. It was the exact same answer, and but except he went, but I'm going to drink a lot of beer tonight. And he caught himself, and he said, Budweiser. He goes, I'm going to drink a lot of beer tonight, Budweiser. Like, whoops, I forgot to say it again. And that's when I went, Oh, my God. Wow. Like, wow. Like, you just sold out your retirement moment after the Super Bowl in a place where 
there is supposedly no product placement, okay? This isn't a NASCAR race when the NASCAR driver comes out and he tries to tell you that the paint company that's the name on his car is the reason why he won the Daytona 500, which everyone knows is the stupidest bullshit you've ever heard, but they're supposed to do it, and the governing body of NASCAR is complicit with this and have basically said, this is how we do our business here. You're going to go out there and you're going to explain how the sponsors helped you to win, you know, even as ridiculous as it sounds like I think Boudreaux's butt wipes, you know, made me turn faster on the corner. Like, no, they didn't actually <laughs> it had nothing to do with you winning Talladega, asshole. But OK, I'll live with it because we've gotten used to it. This is the first time I saw somebody jam a major brand into a critical postgame interview. And that's what he did. And I can't believe that my lasting memory of Super Bowl 50 isn't going to be Von Miller's plays, but it's going to be him telling me how much Budweiser he's going to drink. I couldn't believe that's what he did. That's so disappointing on so many levels. I mean, I mean, it, you talk about just Peyton Manning, who he is, and in that moment, you've just won the Super Bowl. Maybe it's your last game. Granted, you're not the MVP of the game, but you still won the game. You just won your 200th NFL game postseason included you the the winningest quarterback of all time and you're going to sully that with some cheap product placement like he needs the money at this point in his career I mean ah, that just is so disappointing on his part you would think for a guy that apparently knows the temperature of the room better and faster than anybody around would miscalculate that in that way it's just so sad it really is it's like do we have any sanctity in anything anymore like and, and, like, I'm going to put aside the because I drink, so I'm not going to sit here and cast judgment on it. But, like, I could see – I could see as a lot of parents with kids who are, say, 11 or 12 that stayed up to watch, you know, what Peyton Manning was going to say at the end. You know, my kids were too young to do that. But I could see if I had a 12-year-old kid who's watching that and he's sitting there twice saying he's going to get wasted. Peyton Manning is saying that. I'm going to drink a lot of beer tonight that I wouldn't be particularly pleased with that message that he did that, that Peyton Manning was the one who did that, the guy who sells me pizza and cars and insurance and televisions and Oreos and whatever else he sells, that he actually went down the road of saying, you know, I think I'm going to binge drink tonight of this specific brand. You know, so I wasn't particularly pleased with the messaging, but I'm not going to sit here and cast a total amount of judgment on that. I could just see where some people would say, come on, Peyton, like, is now the time to sit here and tell my 11-year-old you're going to go get drunk tonight? I don't care what you're drinking. But forget that part. It's the, you know what, like the media get used all the time. We get used all the time. And most of the time, and you had to deal with this all last week in San Francisco to yes. get the guests, you had to mention they were brought to you by whoever. But you know that score going in. You yeah. know that at some point you're going to have to mention toe fungus with Mike Ditka or whatever it is to get him to come on the air and talk <laughs> because you know that the game is it's worth having Mike Ditka on than not having him on if he is going to spend 30 seconds talking about his toe fungus. And yeah. at least you get the memory of the Super Bowl. It's the risk reward of do I want to have this big name guy, even though he is pitching a product? And that's really the only reason why we're getting him on. But for the majority of the interview, he's going to talk about other stuff. And when I was in that scenario, and I'm sure you work with Kornheiser, the same thing goes in these scenarios. You basically say, listen, don't turn every answer into toe fungus. Let me ask you questions about other things. I promise you'll get your sponsorship in. I promise it'll happen. What he did to Tracy Wolfson and Jim Nance last night was he hijacked the most important moment. And the other thing that bothers me about it is, here's the NFL, okay? The NFL gets, by some reports, what, $5 million in ad in the Super Bowl, right? They, so if I'm a company and I saw that, 
everyone's paying attention to what he has to say at that moment. It's the most important moment, which means everybody is locked in. Is Peyton Manning going to announce he's retiring right now? So everyone's listening, watching, and he turned that into an advertisement for beer. So if I'm another company, I'm going to the NFL going, are we doing this now? Because I would pay Von Miller $2 million to say that eating a Big Mac is the reason why he's the MVP today. Right, yeah. Or how about Trojan condoms? Yeah. What are you going to do after the game? I'm going <laughs> to awesome. celebrate, but I'm going to celebrate responsibly with yeah. my Trojans. Yeah, I got a 10-pack because I'm going to do it clearly <laughs> with everybody. <laughs> clearly, everybody's going to want to do it with me tonight. So, I, yeah, But at least I'm not going to have any kids. I deal with this a lot. Again, like you talked about with the Kornheiser Show, we get a lot of people that will send us stuff or contact me and say, hey, this is a product I think Tony would really like. And I'm like, you're not an advertiser with us. We can't talk about your product right. because you don't pay to be on our air. You're just trying to backdoor mentions of your product. And it's the same kind of thing. And I understand, listen, we have clients, and you have to safeguard those clients and be like, listen, you pay for the privilege of being on this show and, and the platform for what this is, so we're going to make sure you get the full value for that. And if somebody tries to sneak in and get their name mentioned without paying for it, I mean, it defeats the whole purpose of, of advertising, which really is the foundation for everything in broadcasting. I mean, I can't remember them all, but like, you know, Super Bowl week is radio row. Everyone's there every show. And I mean, I must have heard, let's see, Troy Aikman apparently had lymphoma or something, and so he's talking about some drug that works with that now. And then this guy's got toe fungus, and another guy is doing something for Mountain Dew. You know, and it's like on and on and on and on. But like, that's the score that you... You know it you going know in. you know the score going yeah. in, you'll deal with it. Like, you'll, you'll make a decision. You'll go... Okay, are we going to let him do 30 seconds on uh, Sprite, you know, and their new drink, whatever's out, as long as he's going to do three other minutes about why the Bears suck this year? I mean, are we willing to do that? Like, yeah. And that's the sell. But, like, what Peyton did last night was there's no way that Tracy Wolfson or Jim Nance or CBS knew he was going to do that. And they're sitting here going, we get paid a lot of money to put advertisement on, and you just sold out one of the most premier moments without our say in doing so. Like, there's and, no way that anyone is happy that he did that today. No one, except for him and Budweiser. They're the only people that are happy about it. Budweiser's thrilled. Peyton's probably not thrilled about the flack he's going to catch from it. And by the way, this is different than the question to the MVP where are you going to go? I'm going to Disney World. You know, this but it's a it's a commercial. It's during yeah. a commercial break. They yeah. air it during the commercial break. They play the music first. You know what it you, is. Yeah. you know yeah, what it is. And, and like and you know that's what been he set did up. last night. And if he's going to come out and say, you know, I wasn't paid to do that. Well, then why did you say that? Like, don't tell me this. You're in more commercials than any person on earth. Like, you're telling me all of a sudden that wasn't a commercial? Give me a break. I saw the dude hug Papa John on the sideline. Papa John's on the side. The first person hugging Peyton Manning after he won the Super Bowl in his last game is a pizza peddler? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. The only thing that would have been better is if he had said, Budweiser tastes so good. <laughs> right. It would be even I mean, better if he's like, uh, he's because like, the first thing he said was he's got to go kiss his wife. And he's like, we're going to go shotgun some beers. Budweiser, of course. Right. It's the king of beers. <laughs> hey, everybody. Beers. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Harry Carey didn't even do that. He didn't even do that. <laughs> Harry Carey was drunk during the right. games. And he wasn't like, the fifth inning is brought to you by my vomit. You know. <laughs> he didn't even do that. He didn't even do it. 
this was amazing. And the, again, so now, again, if you wanted a Tom versus Peyton legacy thing, because, you know, here's Peyton's one. He's now won Super Bowls with two different teams. Tom's never done that and probably won't do that. So there's one you get to, you know, put one, uh, put a notch up for Peyton on the argument of who was better in their career. He did that. So that's unusual. He did that. But you know what? I have a hard time believing Tom Brady would ever come out after the game, after the Super Bowl, and claim that anything that had a brand attached to it would be the thing that he would actually credit after the game. I mean, and there's just, listen, I am not against selling out. I am not against doing advertisements. But in moments like that, give me a little bit of dignity as a viewer and a fan and don't treat me like an imbecile. This is no different than that Carly Fiorina tweeting out, I'm rooting for Iowa during the Rose Bowl when when she's an alum of Stanford. It's so transparent. It's so ridiculous that, like, how do you take this moment and use that for personal gain? Asshole. Like, I can't believe you actually did that. I've watched you play your entire career. I've, like, been in awe of all the things you've done. I'm thinking this is the last time I may see you on a football field, and you're telling me you're drinking beer tonight, but it's the specific beer you're drinking tonight. Come on, man. Come on. Yeah, that's just that's just weak. He's so much better than that. And, and I, I, you know, I'm sorry. I expect more from him in that moment. I just do. You know, I mean, I understand we all, you know, there's always a cash grab, and, you know, you don't want to leave money on the table, but in certain instances – you have to because yes. of the way it comes across. And again, we don't need to have a fundraiser for Peyton Manning. He's doing no. all right. And he's earned every cent of it. Okay. I'm not begrudging him the, the wealth that he has, but did he really need to dip back in for this? I don't think so. Not that one. I mean, like, listen, he can do all the commercials he wants. I have no issue with all of that. Right. I He's really great don't. Like, it's great. You know, like, I have no issue with, with wanting to work with advertisers. I don't begrudge that of any of these guys to do it. But he shouldn't have done it there. It's the one time where you go, first of all, I've never seen him in a beer commercial. I've seen him in a commercial for everything else. Never I've never seen him in a beer commercial. So I didn't even know he was working with them, which he, cl- like, I don't care what they say. They can say he's not working with them. He clearly is. He said it twice. He said it twice. And the second time was so telling because he caught himself. He's like, I'm going to go drink a lot of beer tonight. Uh, uh, Budweiser. <laughs> While holding the Lombardi trophy. Uh, see, While holding just... the Lombardi trophy, he did that. That's just, I mean, God, you know. Why not wear a hat that said, you know, monkeypuppybaby.com or yes. whatever. You know, that horrible ad. Yeah, I mean, it's just it just demeans the moment. It really does. In a moment like that, it's not just winning the Super Bowl, but like you said, this is the crossroads of his career. We all think he's going to go away. And at that moment, you choose to sully it with some product placement mention yeah. that you've never represented before, to my knowledge. You know, you're just going to throw it out there. I mean, yeah, I, you know what I'll tell you what I'm going to do? I'm gonna re- I'm gonna read a hustler, a hustler magazine. That's right. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, because Playboy sucks now. Playboy sucks. Right. <laughs> read hustler, baby. Yeah. I mean, Jesus. It's just you know, uh, I, yeah. I'm gonna have an Oscar Mayer bologna sandwich. I mean, it just <laughs> it's just so well, cheap, and he doesn't need to do that. And what's next? Like, so okay, if this is okay now, then what's next? So somebody in a police uh, Prius, driven by Alec Baldwin and Monkey Baby Puppy are going to actually deliver the trophy. Right. I mean, is that what's next? Like, wh- wh- how far are we going to commercialize this thing? I mean, it's enough already. Like, at some point, can you treat us like we care as fans that we kind of just like the game and that we don't need every product shoved down our throat? Like, I mean, I mean, I, we put up with a lot of advertisement, a lot, okay? And they make a lot of money together as partners. 
there are there was a line that was crossed, in my opinion. That was a line that was crossed. Whether Peyton just did it on his own or Budweiser. If Budweiser, I don't blame Budweiser. If he's gonna willing to do it, then it's worth every penny. Because here we are for 15 minutes yelling their name today. Yes. Screaming and yelling. And you know what? There's a lot of people doing that. And so it was worth every penny that everyone's talking about Budweiser today after the Super Bowl because Peyton Manning sold out in the biggest way possible. You know, as podcasters, we appreciate the value of time, your time specifically. So if you're a freelancer or a small business owner, stop wasting your time hunched over your accounts. Let FreshBooks do the heavy lifting so you can get out and grow your business. For a better way to manage your books and make tax season easy, try FreshBooks, a cloud accounting software designed exclusively for service-based small business owners. It's the personal accountant you've always needed right in your pocket. FreshBooks is fast. You can create and send an invoice in 30 seconds, and it's easy for customers to pay online, and FreshBooks clients get paid five days faster than average. Right now, FreshBooks is offering my listeners 30 days of unrestricted use, totally free, and you don't need a credit card to sign up. To get this 30-day free trial, just go to freshbooks.com slash talking and enter talking in the how you heard about us section. That's freshbooks.com slash talking and enter promo code talking. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C., and you won't hear Mark um, in in this segment. I want to set up where I was over the weekend. Mark, of course, was out in San Francisco for the entire week. I spent the weekend in Springfield, Missouri. It was the first time I've ever gone there um, because of an unusual turn of events that occurred um, for me about a month and a half ago. Um, Sometime in December, my wife sent me a little internet clip of a produced comedy piece called Instagram Husband. And um, you get the joke. Like, it, it was very funny. Um, it was guys who were, like, forced to run around taking pictures of their wives and posting them and liking them really fast and giving all these great comments. And it was very funny, um, you know, sign of the times type of um, um, marketing thing. And it was done by a group when I looked it up online called The Mystery Hour. So I looked up The Mystery Hour, as I want to do to look up strange things on the internet. And it turns out that it is hosted by a guy by the name of Jeff Houghton out in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And it's an actual comedy show that is kind of in the format of a Colbert or Letterman or, or Jay Leno or Jimmy Fallon or whoever, where they have a monologue and bits and a guest and a musical act. And it's 30 minutes long, but it is done in a theater in Springfield, Missouri, where, and I'm talking about a real theater, like... 500 to 1,000 people show up theater, and it was so oddly, you know, unique when I reached out to him and said, hey, Jeff, you know, like, I saw this thing. I think it's hilarious, and he wrote back, and he said, I know who you are, and eventually, like a few weeks later, invited me out to be a guest on the show, and of all the things I've done in television, I've never actually been in a scenario where I was interviewed in front of a live audience like that, Um, come out of a curtain, onto the stage, you know, can't see the audience because the lights are on you. And it was so uniquely, sublimely bizarre to be asked to come to Missouri to do that. I felt like I just had to do it because I wanted to experience it. And, you know, I've talked a lot about things I want to do in my career moving forward. And I want to stay in sports broadcasting and I want to stay in podcasting. And I, But comedy has always been something that I've always really wanted to be a part of. And Mark and I have done a lot of bits in the past. You're going to hear some of that this year. I've always kind of had these fantasies of doing something like what Jeff is doing. And 
I was sitting here going, I have to see this in action. I have to see somebody actually produce a comedy show of that nature, which is kind of the type of comedy show I would consider wanting to do in the future. Like hosting a variety show, really, is what it was. And so I knew going out there I'd get ten times more out of it than he would ever get out of having me there. But it was a really great experience um, to be flown out and see this new town and take it in. And then just be part of this, you know, small-ish town rallying behind what is a really bizarre thing. I've never heard of something like this before taking place in, you know, for me, it's easy to say, middle of nowhere. Because I'm from Washington, D.C. and all of my friends are from the East Coast or California or something. I just don't know a ton about the Midwest. And I've been out and I've traveled there and I've been to these places. But, like, to think that something of that level was being made there and they were happy to do it there, to get the inner workings of it was really amazing. So I learned a lot about Springfield. I learned a lot about Jeff and his career. He had worked for Letterman for a period of time. Um, he's been doing this for like nine years. It started in the basement of like a comedy club out there. And they do this variety show. There's really no budget. There's really no money. And I mean, I know it sounds like you fill up the theater, you get a lot of money, but they were charging people 10 bucks. Who knows how much of it's going back to the theater. Essentially, Jeff still works on the side. And he's been doing this kind of as a passion play. And then Instagram husband came out. And trust me, I wasn't the only one that saw it. A lot of people saw it. So suddenly he had millions of views on YouTube of this one particular clip and all of a sudden he's a very popular person doing a really weird show in the middle of nowhere and his life has changed over the last six weeks. So we had an opportunity to talk about all that. I asked him um, before the show, he took me to lunch. Um, The tapings were at 630. He does it once a month in the theater where he tapes three episodes and those episodes are then taped for TV and they are shown locally in a couple of markets um, in Missouri. And you can see all this online, too, at themysteryhour.com. You can check it out. He took me to lunch and afterwards he took me to the theater. He said he wanted to show me where, you know, I'm going to get makeup here and I'm going to come out here and this is what we're going to do. And this is the time you need to be here and all that stuff. And so I said, can I just interview you on the stage? Because I want to talk to you about what you do, why you're doing it, and where this is all going. So here's Jeff Houghton from the Mystery Hour um, from Saturday. All right, so we're on the stage. Where are we, Jeff? The Galois Theater, Springfield, Missouri. The set of the Mystery Hour. I mean, did you ever... This is a real theater. You know, it's like these plays are done in here. Do you ever envision doing something like this? <laughs> no. I mean, so when I started the show, we were in a small theater down the street before we were on TV. And we got on TV, we were in a smaller place than that. It was like an uh, art gallery that had a stage. So I always, of course, knew this was here. But I was like, no way am I going <laughs> to do a show at a thousand-seat theater when we're getting 45 people to a show. <laughs> so it's crazy to me now that we fill this mostly up. Yeah, I, so w- what is the experience like? A few people have this experience of doing a live show in front of that many people. What is the experience like for you to do that here? Well, it's grown so incrementally over the years, over nine years, that like sometimes I lose track of like if you would have told me five years ago, however many years ago, that I'd be doing this in front of a full audience, I'd be like, no way. <laughs> not, it's not a possibility. And so, so it feels ordinary on one hand. And then I always have moments during the show where I'm like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> Hi, I'm fully aware we're in Springfield, Missouri, and there are all these people. And so it's, the feeling is like, it's just great. It's, it's a very live room. And uh, it also feels, for me, like I just love performing. So 
it, it feels comfortable as well. Do you like performing here? Do you have some kind of aspiration of getting to a place that actually deals with performers on a daily basis? It's <laughs> <laughs> a fair question. Yeah, I will. I will. Uh, yeah, I'd love doing it here. I could, if if someone in Hollywood said, "We love your show, and we'd like to give you a kajillion dollars," will you do it here? Yeah, I'd do that too. <laughs> so okay, so you're willing, but what if they said you can keep doing it there? Yeah. We'll give you a budget. You keep doing it there. Is that like the dream? If someone came to you and said, "Here's a gajillion dollars, but you don't have to move. You can do it in your theater and, and just keep it where you have it." Yes, it's one of the dreams. It's the one that I've been thinking of the most. But yeah, I think I, I think that would be the ideal ideal. I think so because it's just so weird. Like I don't like doing totally ordinary things. It's so weird that it's here, and I love that. It is weird. I, I think I said to you when we met earlier. I said this is so unusually sublime you know you never hear i've never heard of this like when you wrote to me and you said do you want to come out and be on it i was like yes immediately because i'm like it's so strange someone is doing a late night talk show in the style of letterman or colbert or anything you've seen like that with produced bits and guests at a desk and it's being done in a theater in springfield missouri like it's just so odd that yes. you're doing this yeah yeah it is and i I moved here, Chase and Love, my wife is from here. I moved here like 12 years ago. So I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known Springfield, Missouri on a map. And okay, now I'm trying to put it there. <laughs> so are there, you're doing a comedy show. Is there like a bulging comedy mind that was unmined in Springfield, Missouri that you happened upon and have unearthed for this place? Yes and no. What, I mean, the, what this started with, I did this as a show, a non-televised show, out of an improv theater. And um, so I started with the skinny improv, I was the name of it, in 2004. And, uh, and that's, that's what started the, like, holy cow, I can't believe this is here. Like, there shouldn't have been that good of an improv theater, or maybe even any sustainable improv theater, in a place this size. And so that was, those were the shoulders I started on. So I started with kind of that built-in audience a little bit. But yes, it is rare that a city, city Springfield has like 160,000 in the city. And um, so it's rare that that was there. And it's rare that this is here. I know how, it's so rare. So there is, there's more talent here than you would think for a place this size. But I would also say there's probably more talent in other places this size than you realize. But if you can bring them together, you can really showcase it. It's my idea. Have other people come to you and said, okay, I want to do what you're doing in my town. Can you show me how to do that? I've talked to a couple other people who have started similar things in their places, in like Arkansas or St. Louis. And um, if you were to ask me how to do this, I wouldn't know. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I wouldn't, if someone said, hey, I want to start the same thing, and um, I'm in Akron, I would... Be like, what are the steps to do it? I'd say, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> I have ideas. I couldn't tell someone, do this, do this, do this, and it would work. It's, it's, I mean, for me, improv, and I was, I was a big part of like it, it growing and stuff, and so we had good crowds for it and stuff. And so, kind of, here's my theory places like Springfield, so Springfield in particular, and then other places this size, there are cool things going on. You gotta bring it up to the surface and then get other people around the idea. And if you can do that, maybe you can do it somewhere else. I don't know. 
It's a, it might be just this weird lighting in a bottle sort of thing. I don't know. So you have like no budget too. So you have all these people, you're doing all these comedy sketches. You're basically asking people to do this for free. Right. And they're happy to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, so we have sponsorship within the show that we mentioned in the content of the show. Uh, and uh, so it's a budget, it's a budget to sustain having a production that we don't pay very much for and having lots of volunteers. It, it, it would not be a real, and no one would look at it and say, that's a real amount of money for a TV show. <laughs> I mean, the way I found you, and I, I think a lot of this has all changed for you, 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 know, you just mentioned you've been doing this for a long time, um, was Instagram Husband. It was this, viral, this bit that went viral that you guys did, and everyone, you, if you haven't seen it, just look at it. You find it, just YouTube it, and you'll see it. And, you know, it's like the joke it's easy to explain the joke it's all the guys have to run around with their wives and they have to take all these pictures and they hate doing it but they have to do it with a smile on their face and it goes crazy and now millions of people have seen it and now all of a sudden who's that guy in springfield missouri who made that who has oh my god he has some show that's in a live theater i would imagine the last like six seven eight weeks have been really bizarre for you yes particularly the first week i put it up on a tuesday morning as I've often done before. And uh, that week was unreal, just taking calls, media from around the world and, and doing all that. And then things have slowed down from that intensity, but it's still strange. All these people, all, <laughs> I wanted people to, to know what we were doing, to know the show. Obviously, I'm trying to grow that and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden, people do. <laughs> it's, it is, my mind isn't totally wrapped around it yet. So you're, you're not this quiet little secret going on in Springfield, Missouri anymore, right? right. So right. is it fun being famous now? <laughs> uh, it's fun to have the people that I was always, that wouldn't give me the time of day, not necessarily particular people, but just like the industry, who wouldn't necessarily give me the time of day as I was in L.A. as a struggling actor. Um, now being like, hey, we're interested in you. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> Because I'm the same guy from a few years ago. <laughs> it's like high school. Like, the girls just would not talk to you yeah. back then. And then all of a sudden, they're like, oh, hey, remember me? Yeah. Now that you're this big success? They're like, oh, hey. I've been going through it, too. Because, like, I left ESPN. And then so I went. some people, like, want to be around me. And some people don't. And it's, like, it's almost like a weird form of dating that, that kind of occurs. Like, professional dating. It's really bizarre. Right, right, right. I'm like, wait. The hot girl's interested in me. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I'm, I'm the same guy. I had braces last year. I got my braces off, and <laughs> went through puberty this summer. I don't know what. Nothing feels that different. <laughs> Besides my voice. <laughs> I didn't know that speech in the cafeteria meant that much to you. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, but I, I, my hope is what I, what I'd hoped would happen was. Instagram husband goes big and people are like, like you said, are like, hey, there's a show behind this. What's this? And uh, so that's been, that's been fun for have, to have people recognize, oh, you've been doing this for a long time and it's not so bad. One of the things for me to come out here and do this, one, I just thought, I, I like adventures. This was an adventure to me. I'm like, you want to come out here? Yeah, I want to come out there. I've never <laughs> been there. I want to see this live comedy show going on, you know, in talk show format in a theater. I got to go see that. Yeah. Second was... I actually want to see the process because like this is something 
I personally have interest in seeing something like this put together as a performer myself. I want to see it. So I like want to just sit back and watch what you do. Yeah. Like what, what is your process? How do you guys go about putting together one episode of this show? Well, um, so as far as content goes, we have weekly writers meetings. So I've got five other people, six, maybe 600 people that help me write the show. And so we kind of get going on content and like, Maybe we've culled through ideas for this show, and maybe we want to pull one from a different show or come up with something brand new. And then, like, I'll write stuff or I'll do it. We'll kind of workshop stuff through that. Um, and then, like, so immediately after a tape, we tape once a month. We have what we call our high council meeting, just to make it sound fancy. Um, so I can't pay people. I Everybody pay dress people. up. Yeah, I pay I pay people in uh, gratitude okay, and titles, whatever title they want. So we try to make things sound fancy. Uh, so once a month or after the show, we all meet, essentially a departmental meeting. And we say, we get production together, guy who runs my house, myself, people who help with our guests, and just say, what are the ways we can improve the show? Well, went well. And so that's how we've kind of gotten better. If you would have seen the show three years ago, you would have been like, that's, that's not a good show. <laughs> it's not worth traveling anywhere for. And so, so we kind of have a departmental meeting, tweak those things. Um, then we have uh, content meetings, and then we, um, I have a pre-production meeting with the production company, and, um, and then the night of the show, there'll be 20-some staff, volunteers, uh, run around that all have different kind of jobs to do. Idea to actually making a sketch, what, what is that like for you guys? Um, so, like, let's take Instagram husband. So that was just, like, an observation I had this summer that uh, what you see and that's kind of an exaggeration of my wife and I and then also we have friends who are doing even more and just thinking of the girl who's so into it and the husband that I know that is, would, is not and would not be interested in it but like but he's got to take the pictures <laughs> what's that guy thinking um, so I had the idea and then we talked about in a writer's meeting kind of workshop different ideas like for that one even we we took a writer and we'd sit him in a chair and we said okay you're an instagram husband and we'd interview them and just kind of do a faux interview with them to get ideas get lines get that perspective and um and then uh so that one we actually put off because we did some other videos we put off until shooting until november and then I was talking to the guy who was shooting it. I have a different segment producer that shoots things. And um, we kind of had some ideas. And then the day of, we just kind of had these ideas swimming around. And that day, it's so different shooting something here than like in Los Angeles or New York or something. We aren't worried about permits, closing down streets. Are the cops going to be mad, right? Like you guys basically get the run of the town, right? Yeah, yeah. So we were just like, all right, uh, so we're going to shoot it downtown. Okay, let's meet here. And then we just walk like, let's shoot it here. And... Uh, so we got these ideas, but then also let's improvise a bunch of them. So then we shot it in a coffee shop, and we shot it, you know, some people, of course the internet's good for criticism, so we've had some people that are like, there's not, there's not enough diversity in it, or something like that. And um, I'm in Missouri. I'm in Missouri, first of all. And second, You're right. Like at the end of it, there's a run of people saying, I'm an Instagram husband. Yeah. Those are people we just pulled out of a coffee shop. Like we just went and grabbed them out of a coffee shop. So it's whatever diversity happened to be there that day. <laughs> So, uh, so then like that, like that particular one that took like seven hours to shoot, which is long for one of ours. And, um, and then like second producer gets the first draft to me and then I can, then maybe there's one more round of that for Instagram husband that wasn't, but, um, 
And then we get it all together in time for the show, get it on a shared file site with our production company and get going. <laughs> That's the anatomy of putting that together. That's cool. I mean, like, I would imagine, like, you, you do this and you, everyone has aspirations of, like, what they want to do. You know, do you feel like, though, at some level, because this is so unique, that you've fulfilled that? Or, or is there something else out there that you're looking at and you're going, I'm coming after you, Colbert, or I'm coming after you, you know, Fallon, or whatever. I mean, is, is that happening for you? Or are you kind of like, you know, this is, I got my little thing. This is awesome. Yes and no. Uh, I would love to be on the same platform as them, uh, meaning just kind of nationally syndicated or same high profile, I guess. Um, it's the big bucket of money. <laughs> yeah. I we don't, neither one of us get the big bucket of money right now. We were talking about that at lunch. We were like, we have a lot of little buckets of money that seem to be coming our way. We don't have that big bucket of money. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, so the reality for me is I do, I work two part-time jobs and do all this on the side. And everyone helps me out on the side. So if we're talking about what I would want, I don't want to necessarily get rich. It'd be nice. I don't necessarily want to. I want to be able to, my next step would be to be able to do this as my job and not have to also do other jobs. I think it would actually come as a surprise to people who show up and watch this that you've got four, five, six, seven hundred people who are willing to pay to come in to watch you, and you go, it isn't my job. Right. <laughs> right. My sidekick, I have a sidekick, and he used to work at uh, Toys R Us on the floor. And um, he, he's like, hey, don't ever mention I work there. I want people to think that this is what I do. <laughs> and I'm like, I know we all want that. <laughs> I mean, it's so strange, though, because like, people would look at it. It's so funny. in show business. People will look at it, and they go, wow, you must be making a ton of money when you do something like that. No, they actually, they don't have to pay you really anything to do it because, <laughs> because they don't. Right, yeah. Yeah, if you think of TV movies and you're doing a big production in Los Angeles, you're making a lot of money probably. If you're doing it for local TV station or something like that, there isn't money there. <laughs> there isn't. There isn't money there. It is not the type of money people think. Yes. It's so funny. Like when I left, like all these people were like, oh, this person's going to offer you that. That person's going to offer you that. And I'm like, well, actually they did just... Not what you think they offered me. <laughs> they offered me the opportunity to work for them for not that much money. Right. Which was nice, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Not really. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, uh, I mean, for me, it was this moment, the very first time I did the show at an old improv theater before there were cameras or anything. We got done with it, and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I love this. And I was like, I'm here in Missouri. I think I'm here. I got to figure out a way to do it from here. So, yeah, so now it's crazy that it will have five or six hundred people here tonight. Uh, yeah, I recognize how crazy it is, but yeah, it's weird and awesome. <laughs> it is. It's weird and awesome. Thanks for having me out here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for coming. Ernie Johnson is the host of the NBA on TNT, one of the most successful live studio shows in sports television. He's this week's guest on the SI Media podcast, and he'll tell Richard Deitch about working with the likes of Charles Barkley, Shaq, Kenny Smith, and he'll speak on his public battle to overcome cancer and return to the studio. Ernie Johnson, this week on the SI Media podcast with Richard Deitch. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher, or at si.com backslash podcast. And welcome back to Talking Heads. I'm Bram Weinstein in my basement in Connecticut. Mark Stern is in Washington, D.C. All right, it's story time because we had two very different weeks. I went to Missouri, as you heard, um, with Jeff and the Mystery Hour, so I'll tell you a little bit about that. But I, I haven't heard from you yet about um, San Francisco. What's the, 
what do you uh what do you what's your takeaway from a week out there for Super Bowl 50? I really like San Francisco. I hadn't been out there since 1987 when I drove out after high school with a buddy of mine. We drove cross country. All, we broke down in Nevada, took a bus from Lovelock, Nevada, all the way into Oakland, uh, where we stayed for a week and we're, you know, tripsing around uh, San Francisco, went to Haight-Ashbury and all this kind of stuff. So I hadn't been back there 30 years. Um, and I loved it, man. I mean, it's got a great feel to that town. There's a lot of history there. I ended up eating at a restaurant that was um, – Founded in 1908, and Dashiell Hammett wrote uh, The Maltese Falcon while he was having dinner there over a series of months. I mean, it was just the history that you had there was tremendous. I, I got a chance to go up to San Rafael. We took the ferry, a buddy of mine who was in from out of town. Uh, and, and you'll love this, Bram. We went to a bar called Terrapin Crossroads, which is owned by Phil Lesh, the, uh, the the base the bassist for the Grateful Dead for low so yeah. many years and he was playing that night we didn't get to see get him. out of here we yeah we didn't get to see him but there's nothing cooler than pulling up in a cab to this restaurant and seeing two burnout hippies being like hey man you got my miracle <laughs> you're like uh, what the hell's going on here Phil's playing dude we got to get our miracle see him man and you know but we could hear him in the background it was it was phenomenal and it's just Everything there, it just is really, really cool. Like I, I didn't, I didn't eat out as much as I would have liked to because there is great food all throughout San Francisco. But I took a ride on one of the cable cars. I just jumped on it, had no idea where it was going. And then, like thirty seconds later, I was like, "This is a bad idea. I have no idea where I am in San Francisco." But it doesn't really matter because San Francisco is not that huge, like the downtown portion of it. So no matter where you are, you're pretty close to stuff. Um, so uh, San Francisco has this, and I've been out there a few times. Um, I, I wouldn't even. It, it it gets shut down by people. Like there's just kind of civil unrest all the time in a very peaceful way. Like yes, people get mad. Like they just like everyone shows up on bikes one day and shuts down the street to try to make a point. You know, was any of that stuff happening in no. San Francisco during no. the week with this, or did the NFL like bring in the SS and basically shut, there were <laughs> shut a down lot, the entire city on people? There were a lot of cops. There were an awful lot of cops. At one yeah. point, I saw a cop holding a machine gun that looked like it was from the Terminator. I was like, what the hell is that? And why do you need that, you know, at this instance? But I only saw a couple of people like with microphones and bullhorns, and I'm not even sure what they were yelling about. There were, yes. there were two things that struck me about it. There was there were an awful lot of homeless people. And I live in D.C., and I'm used to seeing homeless people, but it seemed like they were just many, many more all over the place. They have a different sensibility about it out there. There's a, there's a way different liberal live-and-let-live type of mentality about it. And so they, it's, listen, it's a problem, but they don't treat it like the blight that other cities treat it as. No, although I think there was a local sort of disturbance about this because with the with the NFL in town, I think that they were trying to ship a lot of the homeless people to other locations. So they could, I heard about know, that. Yeah. And, yeah. and but I know it was like suddenly it was Sochi, Russia. Remember, they were yes. like, look, building has running water. You'll see. You know, and you're like, wait a minute, but like that's just a facade, and the the inside, I'm sleeping on dirt. Can someone yes. <laughs> help me explain why you're still not third world? You know, so I think there was a little bit of this covering up San Francisco, which I actually didn't think was necessary because I it's I don't think that's some big surprise to people that they have different sensibilities about things yes. in San Francisco than they do in other parts of the country. There were a lot more people though, and again, I see homeless people all the time, but the homeless people in San Francisco were like actively yelling at you or like doing karate yes. kicks in the middle of the street for no reason <laughs> yes. and you're like all right well i guess that's that's what your deal is and everybody smokes out there 
Like smokes, well, they smoke everything, and you smell that, by the way, on every street corner. You're like, yes, is Bob Marley here? What's going on with this? But yeah, every- that, that basically, weed was legal there long before California legalized it. Right, right. It so just you- basically has been. Like, they've been ahead of the curve on a lot of this stuff. Like, gay marriage, that basically has been happening out there since the 50s. Right, yeah, they're <laughs> like, like, they're, they're, they're not worried about that. our politics out there but, at all. But what really struck me was so many people smoking cigarettes. And, and uh, you know, I'm again, in D.C., Cigarette smoking is almost extinct at this point, and you just don't see that many people. And everywhere I looked, people were smoking up a storm. And I was sort of like, wow. I thought for a place that, you know, has big posters of kale on buildings that San Francisco does, they'd be much more health conscious about that. But no, there were a lot of smokers out there, and that sort of struck me as odd. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a wonderful city. It really is. It is. No, I love it. We're describing all these crazy things. But, like, the the homeless people are treated differently, and they are like allowed just to be kind of nuts on the street and people don't really have a problem with it. Like I, a couple times I went out there, there was some guy like one dude came up and like, you know, like some guys like want to wash your window. Well, he didn't actually want any money. He like washed my windshield with a dirty rag and made it worse. Yeah. And then just walked away. Well, he was trying to help. He was trying to help. <laughs> or, you know, and then I remember there was like some guy who claimed he was Jesus and he's screaming, this ain't no disco baby, you know, like running around and nobody, it's like no one even blinks an eye. Like, no. but, you know, in, mo- in other cities, people would be like, where are the police? Right. You know, like, this guy's obviously crazy. Where, where are the police? And nobody even blinks an eye at it. And then, like, I remember once I got in one of those biker lockdowns. Like, people, like the cyclists, they get really mad about the traffic patterns there. And they just, like, every other week or so, just shut down the city by coming en masse on bicycles and causing gridlock. It's like this crazy, weird civic unrest that is consistently happening out there. They're like Europe in that way. Europe does that. Like, you'll hear about, like, oh, the trains don't work today in Europe because the workers are on strike. Again. It's like the eighth time in two months. <laughs> They've gone on strike. San Francisco is the same thing. It's like the same protest over and over and over, and the point seems to never really get across. But no one seems to get too upset about the whole thing. Like, there's no, like it's like a very interesting nice way of civil unrest no it's uh, trust me uh, despite talking about smoking and and homeless people i loved that city and i can't wait to go back i really you know and i want to see a game i want to see a game with the giants at their park i want to see the a's so i I think i'm going to try and head back this summer when it's a little bit maybe a little bit warmer and just a little bit different scene without the The giant stadium's amazing yeah yeah the giant stadium's amazing it's right on the bay it's gorgeous it's beautiful i mean i haven't been there in a long time now but it it really is amazing great location everything i love san francisco too i was very jealous that you were out there and i was um back here well i got to go to missouri yes uh springfield missouri i've never been there before you heard the interview with jeff and it was just so, it's hard to explain. I knew I had to do this because it was so uniquely weird. Um, and I just wanted to see it. I mean, this guy is in the theater that we described during the interview. It's like a theater you'd put the Nutcracker in. I mean, it was huge. There were 500, there were 600 people, something like that at this show. Wow. There's a huge theater with, you know, curtains and sets and the whole thing. And he comes out and he does this show. And he tapes three versions of it, and it's fun for the crowd because he's taping it for TV, too. So when he screws up, he just stops down and starts over. But that's the best part when he screws something up, you know. So that's like the part they're happy about that the people will never see on TV. <laughs> and it was it was just interesting to be part of something like that because – and I told him this when I was on the show. I said, you know, I have a lot of people that when they found out what I did for a living, you know, they're always jealous of it. All the guys want to be a sports center anchor, and they get jealous of it. I go, I'm jealous of this. Like, you have a, you have a late-night talk show in the middle of nowhere um, – in a theater and you got 500 people showing up to do watch you do like your own version of a Colbert show. 
That's unbelievable. And it's so uniquely weird that it's happening in Springfield, Missouri. I'm like, I had to go see this in person. I had to see it. Like, it was so uniquely odd. Because I've had, like, these visions of doing something like that somewhere. But, like, to do it in the middle of nowhere, not that it's nowhere, but, it, you know, for us on the East Coast, it basically is. It's unbelievable that that is occurring in a theater down there. That's wild. I mean, that's a big crowd. Trust me, I... I've done stand-up shows where I would like to. I would kill to have 500 people there, and I've had. It was crazy. Yeah, that's. It was crazy. That's really, really great. It, there's uh, only really high-level comedians get a crowd that large at anything. I mean, really crazy. So this community has really rallied behind it. That's cool. And then he's got uh, you know an interesting fan base. He had a big after party that I was invited to, and the conversations I had were so uniquely bizarre. <laughs> you know, it just like one guy. One guy told me he's a ghost hunter. And he <laughs> he actually told me that he has recorded he has recorded a ghost calling somebody a bitch. <laughs> Get out of my way, bitch! Yeah, like oh, you, you don't think ghosts are rude, you know? That way, you think they're either there to scare you or lead you into a better direction in your life, but you don't just think they're assholes, <laughs> right? Yeah. So angry, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Get out of the way. Don't you be touching my cheese. Like, what? That's great. Uh, a ghost hunter. I can safely say I've never met a ghost hunter, so you're one up on me there. Yeah. He, he and his wife were telling us in the, every story you would tell. He's like, don't go to Oahu. Whew. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, like, what do you mean? And he's like, there's a lot of electricity going on there. And he's like, you'll see ghost soldiers marching on the beach. I'm like, well, fuck that. I'm going to that place then. I believe you, crazy. Wow. I am not going there. Ghost soldiers on the beach at Oahu. Who that's, the hell knows? <laughs> that's, the hell knows. that's great, man. Yeah, I wish, honestly, I wish I recorded the after party. It was way better than the interview I did with Jeff. It was <laughs> nuts. People had these crazy things to say to me. That's... I don't know. I know, it was crazy. Anyway, uh, one quick thing before we go. I'm really upset about Playboy. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm really upset about it. Like... That was the magazine that my dad got that I would find. Right. <laughs> you know, this All is pre-internet, man, people. Okay, young people. Oh, yeah. Just don't stop your judgment. Just listen. Back in the day, we couldn't just go to um, lookatlargebreasts.com, okay? Right. <laughs> like, that didn't exist. Here was our right? choice. It was Playboy or the National Geographic Africa edition. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was that. I know. And you know what? Honestly, the National Geographic Africa was sometimes it was pretty good alternative. <laughs> sometimes it could be. Sometimes. sometimes we didn't have a lot of options back then. You know, we didn't. You know, those real to real stag movies. Okay, these are the dark ages, and and Playboy was the king. It was the king of everything, and Hugh Hefner was the coolest guy on the planet, and that emblem and what it stood for for young men particularly was you know the key to a different universe you know it's um if you don't know what we're talking about playboy just put out their first non-nude issue and that's the way it's going to be um you know they're still beautifully photographing gorgeous women but they're gonna have their clothes on and i'm not saying i won't look at them because i would but i am saying this is disappointing and it's it's not to be you know it's it's hard to it's hard to explain like um, I kind of I, I always felt like I was on the right side of objectification 
know, right. like, I like want women to have all the rights you right. know, and I want them to succeed in the workplace. And yes. I love women. I love being around them. And, you know, I, you know, but I do like looking at them naked. I really do. We're guys. And this is and no one did it better, honestly, in a in in a way that I felt safe with than Playboy. Like there were other magazines, but I was always kind of uncomfortable with the posing in some of those other magazines. So I guess I, that's why I think I felt, I feel like empowered by saying, I feel like I'm on the right side of objectification here. Like I always preferred the kind of artsier look to it. The more um, simple look to it, the more uh, clean's not the right word, but like, you know, just a, the more romantic side of it, I guess, you know, instead of the, that's disgusting, you know, <laughs> like right. pose of right. penthouse or hustler or those things. Like, not that I'm against those magazines, but like, I was always more inclined to Playboy. Well, you there know? was and a style and a class to Playboy. Yeah, the, the other... class. I mean, there was a, there was a, yeah. if you could put it that way, I mean, they are nude women, but like, no, they was... did it in a classier way. They did. They, they presented them as beautiful. I mean, that's what they did. And I appreciated that. And, and so I feel like there's something, something's wrong here that Playboy is out and there's no nude women in it. Like, that doesn't actually make me want to look at it, really. It doesn't, which is really interesting. That's an interesting turn because I'm sure the women that are going to be in it are all going to be beautiful, but and they're going to be photographed amazingly. But like, I I still like to see them naked. I do. Yeah, and uh, it's I mean, it, it listen. The whole universe has changed with the internet, and you know, you you have two ways to go if you're Playboy. You can either go the the route that they did, and that's to cover up and make it more mysterious again and, and kind of go from that angle. And from them, uh, from what they've said, when they did that on, on the, the website, they said everything blew up. And they said, this is the direction for the future for us. You can either do that or you can follow Hustler and, you know, Club and We, right. whatever, and go totally graphic and all that. But that was never what Playboy was all about. So this was this makes sense that they would do it. Yeah, I guess I'm disappointed. But in truth be told, I can't tell you when the last time I either went on Playboy.com or true. looked at a Playboy magazine. So they're not trying to appease me because I've been long gone from their market. No, you know, like they're looking at people on airplanes reading Maxim, you know, and going, yeah, you know, that's really not far removed from what we do, you know, except that like everyone feels empowered to look at that on an airplane because they're wearing a string bikini. And that's literally the difference. That's it. Like, the pictures are nice. The women are beautiful. They're young, you know, except that, like, their nipples are covered. That's the difference. Yeah. That's the one difference. And so Playboy's probably, like, the only chance we have to get young readers back is to empower them to look at young women again, but they have to be clothed because they, they, we're still not at the point where you can just kind of, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're kind of still not at the point where you can look at that openly. <laughs> Like, well, you whatever you saw somebody with a Playboy out in public, you're still kind of like, eh. even though everyone was kind of like, yeah, you know, like that's the that was the funny thing about Playboy. And I think it's like very telling about American culture when you're like, you know, you, you like see people who you knew like you still had to sneak it, you know, you still had to sneak it. You couldn't read it in public, but anyone who knew you looked at it wouldn't judge you. It, it was really strange. It was a strange dynamic of that, like. You're really not being judged, and everyone agrees it's beautiful, uh, but you really kind of can't look at it in public for some reason. There was still some level of public shame to having it out and enjoying it. Yeah. You know, like, so, like, so it was a weird kind of dichotomy of, like, is this okay? Is it not okay? And now it, for me, is just taking itself out of even that conversation of, you know, what is appropriate in terms of men looking at women. 
Is it okay? And and what they're basically saying is we're not even going to have that conversation with you anymore because we're Maxim. You know, maybe a higher brow version of it, but that's what we are. And I was so I'm like sad. I feel like a death occurred. In, well, in it's culture. It's like the end of an era. It really is. You know, I mean, I mean, even though it continues on, but it has changed from what it represented again in our youth. And we're we're roughly the same age. You know, for what it represented back then, like I said, it was like the doorway into this whole, you know, the world of women. It's like, oh, my God. And now it might be an unrealistic world that we're looking through the prism of that magazine of. But, you know, it was still like, wow. You know, that was that was it was a, it was a, it was a cool thing to sort of like experience as a kid or a kid or, you know, a young adult or whatever. But uh, it's gone. It's uh, the times have changed, man. I, I'm a dinosaur in so many different ways. Yeah. Which well, you know, good thing my dad uh, kept his and collected them because I got all of mine. <laughs> I will keep them. <laughs> now they're relics. I love it. All right, so I'm going to go uh, go look at some nudie mags and probably drink a bunch of Budweiser. There you so go. So have a great week. 